Welcome to another episode of Sisters in Conversation. I'm your host, Tebello Mutwane. I'm an attorney by profession, and I'm the founder of a platform called Sister in Law, which is a platform dedicated to empowering women through legal education. On today's episode, I have with me Peel Matonsi. Peel is an employment and labor law attorney and recently took up an in-house role as an employee relations manager, where she provides strategic and legal advice dealing on various employee-related matters with various business units at one of Africa's largest banks. Prior to taking up this exciting role, Peel joined Norton Rose Fulbright South Africa as a candidate attorney in January 2016 at his Durban office, where she acquired a wealth of experience in dispute resolution and litigation experience within the construction and maritime insurance sectors, as well as some corporate commercial sectors. In March 2017, Peel was selected among her peers to serve a six-month secondment at the Norton Rose Fulbright Star SLM Tanzania office, where she worked on a number of project finance and banking transactions in and around the East African region. In October 2017, she joined the employment and labor team of the law firm, where she was retained as an associate based at the firm's Santon Johannesburg office. During her tenure as an associate, Peel was involved in a number of forensic investigations relating to employee misconduct and formed part of a team of professionals that were involved in providing legal opinions on a number of individual as well as collective labor issues, such as wage and strike negotiations and retrenchment processes across five African jurisdictions. She also got to work on some notable triple BEE transactions where she was providing strategic advice on various youth skills development programs. Peel holds a Bachelor of Arts and International Relations and LLB degrees from the University of Wits, Johannesburg, South Africa. On a personal note, Peel hails from a township called Tula Mahashe, Bushbag Ridge, situated in the beautiful province of Mpumalanga and is the middle of three children. Next to law, my late mother, who sadly lost her battle to cancer last year in October, remains my driving force. Her life, her amazing work ethic, and seamless ability to understand us as her children remains a true inspiration for me to date. She's the reason I'm where I am today, because without her love and her prayers and sacrifices, I would not have been motivated to realize my dreams and be where I am today. Welcome to the show, Peel. Thank you, Tavella. Thank you so much. I'm um, happy to be here. Thank Wonderful. you for the invite. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you for availing yourself. Mm. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about um, Pearl. Uh, I just like learned on your bio that you're um, the middle of three children. Tell us a bit about your mm -hmm. upbringing, um, you know, a little bit about your primary school, high school life, and then what made you decide to pursue a career in law? Okay, so uh, briefly, so uh, as I've mentioned, I'm the middle of three children. I was born in uh, and grew up in, in Tulamahashi, Bushback Ridge. Um, I spent my a little bit of my formative years uh, back there, but um, when I was about eight years old, I, uh, after two years of pestering my father to, to move uh, in with him in Pretoria, um, I was finally allowed to, to go and live with him. So the formative years of my life was spent growing up in, in Pretoria, where I was raised by my father. So I did my primary school schooling there. And then I took about a two-year break and went into boarding school back home in, in um, White River, Pumalanga. And then uh, missed living in the city so I begged my father again to let me <laughs> back, uh, to come back and live with him in Pretoria where I went to Loreto Convent School it's an all-girls um, Catholic high school mm -hmm. and that's where I did my from my high schooling all the way through to matric so I matriculated in 2010 and um, upon matriculating I now had the choice of deciding where to go um, in terms of a varsity. And I literally had applied everywhere. And um, just to satisfy my father, did apply in Pretoria, even though I knew that I did not want to stay <laughs> in Pretoria anymore. So um, once we got our matric results, I got confirmation that I'd been accepted at, at UCT as well as uh, the University of Vatisrand and UP. And um, 
I think in the excitement of getting my results, I managed to convince my father to let me go and, and study away from home, but he mm-hmm. was not willing to let me go all the way through to Cape Town. Yeah, so we yeah. compromised. <laughs> we compromised. He said, look, you can stay uh, in Johannesburg. You'll study at WITS. Um, you will be far from home, but you'll be close enough for me mm-hmm. in case um, you're not well. You know, they'd always tell us, you know, what will happen when you're yeah. sick? <laughs> you know, we can't fly all the way to Cape Town as quickly as we drive to Johannesburg. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I conceded and I agreed. And I, I tell you, that is probably the best decision of my life because I really enjoyed um, the flexibility that came with uh, studying at a university as prestigious as the University of Witwatersrand, as well as knowing that when I'm a bit tired or a bit overwhelmed with this mm. new environment, I could just hop into the car train and go home. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so had you had you applied to study law or is it just you just got into the first, um, you know, sort of, sort of uh, choice that was presented to you? Yeah. Look, I, my grandfather was my, my um, maternal grandfather, my mother's father, um, had always said that I have a knack for, for always arguing and I'm all very opinionated and I always ask questions from the time when I was about six, seven years old, I'd always be probing and asking him quite a number of of questions about his life and why we are living like this or why life is a certain way. And um, because my aunt and my uncle, who are the two siblings that come right after my mother, they are both in the legal profession. Mm -hmm. Uh, My uncle just recently retired. He was a senior prosecutor at the NPA and uh, my aunt is is a corporate lawyer by profession. And she worked, she interestingly enough did her articles at what was then Denise Rates, which is uh, now Norton Mm -hmm. Rose Fulbright. Mm -hmm. And um, she then went into the banking industry and now she's an entrepreneur. She works for herself. So he said, you are so much like your aunt and your uncle. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you should study law. And I said, really? Okay. Um, but I'm not really sure if that's what I want to do. Because at that time, I didn't have as much information. It was mostly on what I would see mm-hmm. from both of them. Okay, we have one who's doing criminal law, and then there's another one who's doing um, commercial law. But I didn't know that there was actually more out there. Mm-hmm. So I decided, okay, to appease him, I will tell him I'm studying law, even though now I was presented with the opportunity of doing a Bachelor of Arts. Mm-hmm. And in doing a Bachelor of Arts degree, I knew that I would have the flexibility that I would need if I wanted to um, say that, oh, perhaps law is not for me, because I, I know when I asked my, uncle, my aunt and my uncle about it, they just said, you must just really read a lot. And I said, I don't really like reading a lot, um, but to balance uh, what he wants out of, what my grandfather wants out of me, I will tell him that I'm studying law. So I picked up two majors, international relations as well as law. Mm-hmm. And um, during the three year period, I did various courses. That was the nice thing about Bachelor of Arts because you get to do all different courses. I mean, I did psychology, I did politics, I, I did international relations as well, and mm-hmm. I did some law modules. So that was really exciting because I feel like it broadened my knowledge and it, it sort of like affirmed what I wanted to do. And I thought that at the end of the three-year period, I was like, I'm jumping straight into my honors. Mm-hmm. I don't care what my grandfather's going to say. I did law. I enjoyed it just a little bit, but I really think if I do my honors, then I can go in and work for Durko and be a, a diplomat because that was what I was interested um, yes. more in and unfortunately in 2013 my grandfather which is which was the third year of my of my undergrad um, I think it was around May June when I was doing my mid-year exams uh, he mm. sadly passed away because mm. he um, was ill and for me I thought oh crap now I actually I feel that I should proceed and live out the dream that he wanted yeah. Yeah. Um, for me and I thought okay let me do this let me dedicate the next two years to um in his honor completing my llb because that's what he always he had told everyone that i'm going to be a lawyer like mm. everyone like uh like my my aunt and my uncle so i thought let me get that out of the way and then i'll do my um my honors at a later stage um my mother was completely supportive of it so uh, i then proceeded and did my two-year postgrad and that was when i realized that he was right all along. Law is definitely for me wow, because uh, postgrad was really nice. I mean, you get exposed to different areas of the law. That's when you're more on um, West Campus. So you get to attend all of these career seminars and learning more about law firms and what they do. And um, I was particularly drawn to uh, Norton Rose Fulbright of the largest law firms that had come through 
I was drawn to them and the reason I was drawn to them was because of the opportunities that they um, had provided or would provide to mm. people early on in their career. Because mm. I had a number of people who were associates that had just told us that in their training contract, they got an opportunity to go on secondment. And I thought, what is a secondment? Mm-hmm. And when um, they were telling us about it, there was one who had gone to Australia, another one had gone to the London office. And then there was another uh, candidate attorney who was telling us about her experience of Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. And I thought, that's the one. Yeah. That's the one for me. If I get into this law firm, this is where I want to go. So I applied for my articles at Norton Rose. I, I was, I've got to be honest with you. I was not, you know, by the time we get into postgrad, I think 85% of the people that are in there were already signed up at their law firms mm. and knew where they were going at the end of the two-year period. Mm. I was not as fortunate. Um, I Just like I did with my, with my university, I applied everywhere. I did not get accepted anywhere, including Norton Rose Fulbright. Mm. So... <laughs> I then uh, thought, okay, well, maybe that dream is gone, but I will still keep applying. I remember I told my mother, I said, look, I applied at Norton Rose. I I did not get accepted for back work. Let's just move on and see what else we can do. And then I said, okay, I'll apply to do grad programs at banks because I thought, okay, if I get into a grad program at a bank, I could still use my LLB degree and Mm -hmm. alternatively, I'll just spend my final year doing uh, the next year um, after my postgrad doing my honors in international relations. Mm. Um, and then to my like I, my mother kept on doing this thing and much to my annoyance but now I'm so grateful for it is that when uh, we would pray like so she would call me in the evening and we would pray mm. and then she would say Lord here before us we have Peel who did not get accepted at Norton Rose but I know you'll make a way I know that she'll get it and I thought to myself oh. mom let's be realistic you know <laughs> I did not get in can we just accept that and move on yeah yeah and funny enough, in April of my final year, I randomly get a call whilst I'm at home um, from one of the uh, recruitment uh, ladies at Norton Rose Fulbright, and they're inviting me for back work. And I thought, but my application was rejected. How is this even possible? Mm-hmm. And then she said, no, look, um, we are looking at filling in some vacancies, and we think that your application is suitable for us to, mm-hmm. to look at and invite you to back work. Obviously, that doesn't guarantee that you'll get a training contract, mm-hmm. but you just want to get a sense of who you are and whether or not you'd be a right fit in the firm, and most importantly, whether you, whether, um, you would be of the view that the, the firm is the right fit for you. Mm-hmm. So I... Then went and I did my back work. I started off in banking and finance. I worked with an uh, incredibly amazing uh, director, uh, Riza Musa, um, who is now mm-hmm. left the firm. He started his own law firm. He was a fantastic uh, banking and finance lawyer. Mm-hmm. I spent six months with him. And everyone, uh, I remember when they found out that I'd be working with him, they just said, just be strong. He's a tough one. <laughs> I've heard that a lot from people who worked with him. <laughs> Yeah, he's a tough one, but you'll be fine. And I thought to myself, okay, this is actually a challenge for me. Mm-hmm. Let me see if I if I will go through the the toughness that everyone uh, had mentioned. So um, we got along really well, surprisingly. And um, I was very honest with him. I said, look, I've I've heard your story. I mm-hmm. hear you're a tough one, but I'm here to learn, and that's that's it. <laughs> so I think maybe that took him aback a little bit. Um, but yeah, I spent the six months working for him, and then obviously during that back work, you also do interviews. Uh, with some directors in recruitment and they tell you whether or not um, at the end of your back work, they come back to you and let you know whether or not you got your contract. Mm. So fortunately, I guess I did make quite an impression because uh, he vouched for me uh, to get signed on. And um, yeah, I then got my contract of articles. And by the time I got my contract, my peers who had also come from BITS had been signed ages ago. I'd seen them at a number of these career seminars, obviously telling us why we should join Norton Rose Fulbright. And it was really, for me, it was it was exciting, but it was also like sort of like a shock to the system because I thought, wow, am I really, am I really in? And what is it about me <laughs> that could make me worthy to join these amazing students who had been doing amazing, incredible things at varsity that I was not even close to doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I was really fortunate. And I think through my mother's prayers, I think God just decided, you know, I'm really tired. I'm getting tired, uh, tired of hearing this. Yeah, Let me just yeah. make a way for her to get in so yeah. that her mom could stop bugging me for lack of a better word. And then but how, yeah, it was how, really how great. Was that, you know, um, how was the transition from university to your first day and your first six months at, 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 um, in your articles? So, your, okay, so the first the first six months were a bit daunting because, oh, so before, when I got in, I was signed for Johannesburg. Um, but then I think a few weeks before I started, I got a call because when I initially had applied, I put in at Johannesburg as my first option and Durban as my second option. Mm-hmm. So I got a call from one of the recruitment uh, people and they told me that, look, um, one of the students that was signed for Durban um unfortunately didn't make it and we need to fill uh, the numbers in durban would you be interested in moving to durban and the reason durban was my second option it was literally random was because my my younger brother at the time was studying at at uh, in durban mm. so i thought oh well if i don't get into johannesburg can they at least consider me for durban because at least my brother will be there yeah yeah so they then uh, said that uh, Durban is an option. So I, I agreed. Obviously, I went and I moved uh, to Durban. Um, so I was not only transitioning into the working environment, I was also now getting used to living in a, in a completely new city. I'd never lived in Durban before. I'd only gone to Durban for holidays. And I thought, oh, people actually work in Durban, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Um, I moved to Durban and I started off, I did a little bit of of construction litigation when I initially started off, also worked with an amazing um, lawyer there and then I I think I then moved within about two months of that rotation as in us to do, to go into shipping shipping litigation and, and marine insurance and I'd never done anything related to maritime insurance before. So I thought okay let me go in and see what they actually do mm. and i worked with really amazing directors they were very patient in in, in making sure that uh because I, I had mentioned that i had no background whatsoever and they were really keen to teach you know they would give you the books that you'd need to read to kind of get an idea of what the rotation is all about um you would also um get into the kind of work that they do which was your was shipping it was literally urgent everything was urgent because you do and um, what is called uh, admiralty court proceedings which are urgent half the time because you need to let's say a vessel comes into um the durban harbor and it happens to be a vessel of one of a client that uh, one who's uh, owed money by that specific client then we do what is called ship arrests so you would do what is what we call ship watch you would literally sit and wait for emails that come from the harbor mm. of the vessels that are coming in at a certain time. And then you must now search and see if any of those vessels fall under the people or the list of vessels that have been um, noted as ones belonging to clients that to people that owe our clients money. Mm. Um, and what you would do is that you would obviously hold that ship. So you would do what, a, what, docked in African Harbor until the date that they or your client has been settled. So uh, that always came like times. I remember there was one matter where on a Friday I saw that a client's uh, person's vessel is coming in and I see, okay, it's in Mozambique and you now have to track it to check where it is because the moment it gets into Durban, you have to actually do the application. And it was a Sunday evening. I thought, so, so, okay, this thing is in Mozambique. I said, No. And uh, yeah, you know, it was always like, it was always work, you know, you'd always be like, you'd never know what the, what the day was going to be like, which is really exciting for me. I also did insurance litigation um, after that six months uh, and then um, commercial, a little bit of commercial litigation. So I'd done a lot of litigation work and I had walked into uh, Norton Rose hoping to be a corporate or I thought mm. banking and finance, the six months that I did there was really exciting. This is what I want to do. But in Durban, um, it was primarily a litigation space. We just had a small commercial team mm. and I thought, okay, how am I going to get exposure to this? And then 
Tanzania, Dar es Salaam came up again. And I thought, oh gosh, this is actually the reason I'm here. Yeah. Let me apply. So I spoke to one of my, one of my directors in, in litigation and he motivated me. He said, look, do what you want to do. Just apply. Even if you don't have the experience, you'll learn along the way. So I applied for the secondment, uh, put in a motivation. Um, there were a number of other applications at the time. And you know, they always tell us, do a general application. Don't mm -hmm. be specific. Just say you want to go on secondment. Where you end up going should not be a factor because mm -hmm. you might go to Sydney, you might go to London, you might go to, to Tanzania. But I was very, because they said that obviously you broaden your horizon so that you're not only limited to that one space. So if they mm -hmm. find an ideal mm -hmm. candidate for Tanzania, then you've lost the opportunity because you didn't motivate for all the other offices. Mm. But I thought to myself, no man, I've I always want wanted. Yeah. <laughs> and the reason I want Tanzania is because I want to see how um, the legal space is like outside of South Africa, but within the African continent. I wanted to know what kind of work is being done in Africa. And this obviously is, is drawn from my international relations background, having learned all of uh, what's happening with African foreign policy and how we're working. I want to see, are we collaborating? What is the work like? You know, so I, I put all of that in my application. I said, look, I really want Tanzania. So I'm going to just take a shot and apply for this one. If I don't get it, I don't get it. So I put in the application, went through a, a recruitment process, got an interview done, and I was really fortunate enough because uh, obviously it's a, it's it's over the recruitment panel consisting of about three or four people that you now have to tell why you want to um, to go there, and you also then speak to the directors that are based in the Dar es Salaam office at the time to kind of get a sense of whether or not you'd be a right fit. So after that intense um, recruitment process, I finally got the offer, and I. I was selected to to move to to Dar es Salaam, and that was really exciting. This was in 2017. I was pumped up for it. I was ready to see what Africa is all about because I felt like I was living in sort of like a bubble. And this was obviously it was for I think it was the first time I was leaving. You know, you don't count Swaziland and going to Botswana because yeah. that's like inland. You feel like yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's home when you're visiting those places in Mozambique because I've got some family in Mozambique but this is the first time I was now leaving to go outside like go into East Africa mm. so I went there and that was really like a, a culture shock but exciting at the same time mm. because you know I feel like the way South Africa is developed we almost like live in a bubble you know, we're so used to how things are here at home. We don't realize what's actually happening out there. Mm. So it was obviously, um, Tanzania is not as developed as, as South Africa is. Wait, sorry, but, were wow. you with a family or did you have to, like, did you have your own accommodation? I had I had my own accommodation. So they had an apartment sorted out for me there. I got there, the airport, someone picked me up and took me to the apartment. Mm. And now I had to, like, just figure out living yeah, in, in a foreign country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but fortunately one of my good friends um who i studied with in in, in adverts was from tanzania mm. so that was, and coincidentally she was doing an internship at the dar es salaam office at mm. the time mm. and i would gotten in touch with uh, with the, the the candidate that had gone just before me yeah. obviously to hand over and to tell me what the person's about and she was extremely helpful she told me what the culture is like. She told me um, where to go and buy food, you know, little things like mm -hmm. that. By the time I got there, I knew what I needed to do. Yeah. Um, and, my, and my friend was also, she was there as well. So it was really nice to, to sort of like from a social um, point of view, I didn't have any difficulties with adjusting on that aspect because um, equally, just as much as I, I had her, I also really gelled well with the people that I worked with at the office. I mean, literally from day one, when I got there, I, I got along with everyone, which is yeah. really nice. People are very warm. People are very warm and friendly. I, I can't emphasize enough how, um, how welcomed I felt mm. um, from the moment I got there. And um, just in, in talking about it, I just remembered now reflecting that whilst I was in varsity, I went to Norton Rose to, to have, I think they had these cocktail functions or whatever the way they'd invite students. And I spoke to one of the people that had, uh, that had gone um, to Tanzania before, Musa Teki. So she's, she's, she's phenomenal. She's an amazing woman. Um, I think she's now doing, she's in-house actually at uh, one of the, the mobile companies. And she told me, she literally said, you will not 
you you don't even need to worry if you if you if you do get this don't worry the people there are so amazing that you will adjust very quickly and she yeah. was right like without even flinching i mean i got there and it was just warmth all around and it made it easier for me to adjust it also made it easier for me to learn um because like i said i had no corporate background mm. say for that six months that i spent those few weeks that i spent in, in banking and finance and literally step by step the directors they would tell me this is what we're going to do this is the nature of the transaction this is how it's different to this other transaction and yeah here's the file do what you need to do so you'd literally be like okay yeah. thanks for that background you sit down you teach yourself you go there you ask questions and i really as much as i enjoyed the work i, I got confirmation that corporate law is not for me mm. um never mind the, the intensity of, of the work it also comes with how i felt that it was very repetitive because mm -hmm. it would just be different transactions but we do almost the same thing yeah yeah we work on the same agreements you know <laughs> Was it generally yeah, so, overwhelming also just being far from family? Absolutely. Um, it was it was because you wake up in the morning and you think, sure, okay, now I'm going into work, but I'm not really sure what I what, what I'm going to do or whether the instruction that I'm going to get um is going to be easy for me to understand. So I had those days, but like I said, I had an incredible support system. Mm -hmm. Um even for outside of outside of of Tanzania, I mean, I'd call my my friends that had been that had worked on corporate transactions before, and they would tell me what it was all about. Um, and keeping in touch with family, that was very easy. We would talk on the phone every single day. Um, mm -hmm. I'd speak to my mom every day on video call, um, and everything was well. Um, the only challenge came when um, so I started in March, and I think in at about June, July, um, my mother fell ill. Mm. and um i like again the support from people was really amazing i mean i, I remember walking into um, one of the director's office um angela and and i told her look my mom is ill before i could even finish my sentence and i said my mom is ill i think they say they think it might be cancer and mm. i didn't even say anything she just said have you booked your flight um mm. Is there anything that we can do? Uh, do you want me to talk to Johannes? Because I only had one return ticket, and that was going to be at the end of my of my secondment. Mm -hmm. She said, "Do you need me to help you with anything? Are you okay? Should we buy you a flight ticket? Don't worry about the fact that you've only got one free return ticket." Mm -hmm. And I said, "Yeah, but I don't have leave day." She said, "Look, just go." Um, mm -hmm. And it was only when I came back that she told me that she, um, I think, about four four years ago, four years ago at the time, had lost her father to cancer and she knew how important it was to make sure or to help um yeah. to make sure that i'm whole yeah so i then packed my bags i went home um and was then wow <laughs> all right because yeah. you don't expect that yeah. from from a corporate space yeah. Yeah. you know you just expect people to it's a bottom line i mean i'm a resource that has been sent there to help them get i mean they've lost the resource because we swap so one yeah. when i when i was there one of their trainees is now in south africa so mm -hmm. i thought to myself now this from an operational point of view is going to be a nightmare because you'll be one resource short um but they were just incredibly supportive of 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 it i was i was the one who insisted on working whilst i was at home in nelspreet because um, my mother was was admitted at at, at um the hospital in nelspreet I was the one who like opened my laptop and say, "Look, guys, I can still work. This is what I need to do." Because I knew, you know, um, I'm I'm not an I'm not an A student, for lack of a better word. I I I knew that the only way I would make sure that I I stay or I get retained at a firm as big as this is by performing. So yeah. I knew that come hell or high waters, I need to be always be I need to be on top of it. I need to make sure that there's no one who, you know, out of sight, out of mind. I wanted to make sure that I'm still delivering even at the level that I'm required to, despite um the personal challenges that I'd be facing at the time. My mother was very happy to see me. Um she had an operation and we I spent about two, three weeks um uh, back at home before going back to, to mm. Tanzania. Mm. So I went back to Tanzania. I finished the little bit that was uh, left of my rotation because it was going to be a six-month uh, secondment there. Mm. And then I came back. When I came back, that's when I got into employment and labor because I told my my bosses, I said, look, I really enjoyed litigation. Mm. Um, 
but I, somehow like for me the, the the court rules and all of that was a bit tedious for me like yeah. trial prep and yeah, yeah that's exactly it, how it I felt about it <laughs> yeah yeah, so and then on the other hand, there's this corporate work where we work on the same agreement so we track changes and we send it to this uh to those financing guys and you know. So I felt like I needed something that I enjoyed working with the corporates. I enjoyed litigating, but not to the extent of, of trial prep. How do I balance the two? And that's when I'm one of the directors. Uh, Marie Alexandra invited me to say, look, spend a rotation with us at Employment and Labor and tell us what you think. And I felt like Employment and Labor gave it a nice balance because I got to work with the corporates that I enjoyed working with in the, in the, in the, in the commercial space. Um, and then I, I got to do a little bit of litigation and more importantly, employment and labor, because with there, you, you still face with problems. No one problem is ever the same. Sometimes you're doing an investigation on a, on a senior executive uh, mm -hmm. relating to various allegations. You know, the next thing you are sitting in a wage negotiation meeting, helping facilitate a restructuring process, you know. So I felt like it was it was strategic because I feel like I'm a I'm more of a strategic operational point uh, person as opposed to like rigid and legal and let's now do the law, mm. you know. So I felt it was a nice balance between the two because um, I got the exposure that I, I liked when I was doing um, commercial work, but I also got to do a little bit of problem solving from a legal point of view with a little bit of litigation work that I did. So I really enjoyed that. Okay, I really enjoyed it today. <laughs> then you got retained as an associate um, and, uh, and you're currently in-house. Can you just tell us about how long, how, how long were you an associate for before you moved in-house and what, um, you know, motivated or what was the driving factor behind you changing yeah. from a traditional law firm and then going to work at a bank? Mm. Okay, so um, I, yes, you're right. I got retained in phase. So I, like I said, when I came back from my secondment, I spent an additional six months rotation because obviously that period that I'd spent in in um, in Tanzania was not recognized as as articles for, uh, by the Legal Practice Council, which was then the Law Society. Mm -hmm. So I needed to serve an additional six months when I came back, and I spent that six months in employment and labor as what was called a, an associate designate when I got retained in Feb before getting admitted as an attorney. So mm -hmm. I worked um, in so I, I worked in Durban for that little bit, then in. In Feb 2018, I moved to Johannesburg, where I worked with also one of really, really um, experienced and an amazing uh, a director, Mohamed Chavos, who is a direct, senior director in the employment and labor team. Um, and I, in that, the, the space, in that two, uh, two years that I spent with him, because I worked from Feb 2018 up until I think it was April, because I got the offer from the bank um, towards the end of April, mid-April. Um, of this year, so I've recently just stepped into this into this in-house role that mm -hmm. I'm doing now. Um, I got a wealth of experience, and and to my surprise, I didn't know I knew or as much as I did up until I sat in that interview with the bank, and I was asked questions that I was able to answer effortlessly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's because there were a lot of complex matters that I I was exposed to from very early on in my in my career. Um, there were a number of matters that um, I was uh, a lead associate in and I was told to just run the matter, run the matter from start to finish, only come to me if you have any difficulties. Mm. And that independence was 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 daunting, um, but equally exciting at the yeah. same time because it teaches you responsibility and accountability from a very early on stage because not only are you faced with having to solve a problem, you're also um, faced with building relationships and maintaining relationships with clients and making sure that um, client is happy at all times. And my director would always say to me, look, my responsibility is to keep the, is to bring in the business. Your responsibility is to, is to keep the business and make sure the client is happy with our output mm. and we need to deliver on time. So it was a, a very high paced, uh, fast paced environment that I needed to learn very quickly. I was really challenged to learn very quickly and most importantly, deliver quality work at all times. So um, I felt like that pressure, I mean, when I, when I got in at the firm, when I was retained, my budget was over a million rand mm -hmm. very early. 
early stage. I mean, asshole, now you have a year, you have to make a million rand for the film. And yeah. I just thought to myself, how am I going to do that? I don't even have a practice. But I quickly learned that that's why uh, my director is always on this issue of he would bring in the work, I would need to churn out whatever we needed to do. Mm-hmm. And within that space, you would be, you, you would end up doing over 200 hours a month and you just don't know how you did it. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, you get to that, you make it, because I think I made, I, I was, I made a hundred percent of budget in my first year as an associate. And oh. just when you like, you take a deep breath and like, okay, done. Then you get the next budget and then it's like, oh, let's put on another million rand. And I thought, jeepers, <laughs> you know, I was able to make that one, that one. And now you're thinking, oh, let's add on and make, and you could make more. Mm. So I thought yeah. to myself, okay, by the time I'm done here, it's going to be, Another one over another one over another one. Mm. And I felt that the re- the, me putting in the work was also a, very much at the expense of my personal life. Mm. Um, I was missing out on a lot of important events um, in, my, in, in my personal space. Most importantly, I was missing out on focusing on making sure that my mother gets better because, like I said, she was diagnosed with cancer. She started mm. with chemo towards the um, latter part of 2017 and various operations and all of that and i mean as much as this this the the environment that i was in was supportive and understanding i also understood that at the end of the day we are a business yeah required to deliver at a certain level and um whatever you are going through personally you just need to balance you know so Mm -hmm. you would find that you'd get into the office very early on in the morning um you're done at four o'clock I'd go, my mother was living with my aunt at the time here in Johannesburg. I would leave the office at about six o'clock, go spend some time with her at about eight, up until eight, nine p.m., go home, take a shower, 10 o'clock, I'm back at my desk and I'm working throughout, you know? And that's because you can't say, oh, but I spent two hours yesterday mm-hmm. with my mom and that's why I was not able to get this affidavit done on yeah. time. You yeah. still, yeah. You still needed to make sure, and again, it's a very high-paced environment, mm-hmm. fast-paced. You're mm-hmm. still required to, to to perform at the at a very high level, and you can't you can't be seen as. And for me, that was always it was it was not necessarily communicated to me, but I always thought to myself, I can't use my personal life as an excuse to not perform yeah. because I was brought on here in the first place to deliver mm. you know so mm. i think the strain most importantly um was what and it was not necessarily from a professional um level that i felt that i needed to move as a matter of fact to be honest with you develop i did not even apply um to move to the bank there was just someone who saw my profile on linkedin one of the recruitment specialists and i love <laughs> Yeah, what's that? I, I absolutely love LinkedIn. Like I camp. camp yeah, LinkedIn is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she saw my profile. She asked if I'd be interested, and I thought this must be a sign because I'm yeah. getting very frustrated. Yeah. Um, and I remember towards the end of the year last year, in a, at about August, um, when my mother had now decided that no, this chemo is a lot. She, like, I remember her words. She said to her oncologist. She said, um, Doc, I'm tired. I'll let God do the work from here on. Mm, and mm. for me, it was like, okay, it's not necessarily a thing of she's giving up because she had been fighting. And I always used to say to her that, you know, are you fighting for yourself or are you fighting for us? Because I remember I said, my mom was one of those people who just sacrificed for people. Mm. And she thought to herself, she said, look, I'm mostly fighting for you guys because I don't know if you guys will actually be able to cope if mm. something wants to happen to me you know so I thought to myself you know what this woman has been living her whole life for us yeah why can't we just pause our lives for a bit and um live life a little bit for her you know um because my mother was very understanding if she called you during the day and you're in a consult or you can't take a call she would say that's fine nothing urgent I'll talk to you later Mm -hmm. and I I then decided towards mid-August I was like, you know what, I'm going to communicate this to my bosses. I want to take a month off. Mm. I want to spend time with her. I think that she deserves that. I don't know what's going to happen in the next few months, Mm. but I feel that I owe it to her to just press pause for a little bit. Mm. And I remember I said to my directors, I said, I'm cognizant of the fact that I'm only at this stage of my life. I mean, it was September. I was like, I'm cognizant. And our year end was Feb Mm. at the time. 
I said, I'm cognizant of the fact that I'm currently sitting on, on, on 85% budget. Um, I, but I feel like I need to go and I'm, I'm, I've, I've reconciled or I've made peace with the fact that I might not get promoted next year because I would not be able to make 100%. Yeah. But with this age, take time off, I'll see what I'll do um, at maybe getting 90% when I come back. Yeah. Um, so this was, and I said, okay, but for now, let me wrap up on all the matches that I've been working on. So I communicated the decision that I'm going to leave in mid-August last year mm. i worked up until end of august i no, no, no i'm lying i think mid-september and we had one arbitration that I, I i needed to do because again i was i was working with council at the time and my director is not directly involved in it so we agreed that i would do that two-week arbitration um so we went to cape town with my family and there were on the day that i was supposed to fly to durban for this arbitration my mother um, was unfortunately hospitalized while mm. we were on holiday mm. so and then fortunately through some miracle um my director who had flown into durban at the time called me and said look you don't need to fly to durban the matter's been postponed yeah so said perfect let me stay so i stayed for those two weeks and um this was end of end of september and just as i was going to start um, preparing now to be away from work completely just mm -hmm. off the radar mm -hmm. uh, my mother sadly passed away so this was uh, October. She passed on the 2nd of October. Yeah. And I literally, I felt like I shot myself in the foot. I thought to myself, geez, had I not put my work first and trying to wrap up everything, maybe I could have made sure that I was fully present within those few weeks that she was, um, she was, uh, she was not feeling too great. But but she was also equally excited about the fact that I'd be off for a month. So she said to me, look, just do what you need to do. At least we'll get to spend time together for a month. Mm -hmm. And it was also around the same time that one of my friends who was a, a bridesmaid at the one I'd mentioned earlier, who lived in Tanzania, she was getting married and I was a bridesmaid at her wedding. So she said to me, fly, go to, because I think it was in October, her wedding was going to be, go to the wedding. Then when you come back, we'll go home then we'll spend time together at home. Yeah. So um, when my mom passed away, which she was in hospital at the time, um, I was sadly out of the country. So I thought, ah, geez, you know, just then I thought I'm putting my life on pause. Yeah. And then she now decides it's time for her to go. But I remember before I left, she mentioned, she said, you guys must learn to live your lives um, mm -hmm. and not always focus on living life for me you need to actually get independent so the in-house role came at a time like i said where i was now trying to figure out life um I, you know within not getting a living mm. yes mm. And, and and trying to see okay why 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 am i you know why am i always in this fast-paced environment mm -hmm. why can't i still get to do what i love without the pressures that come with having to make over a million rand or whatever the case oh, may be. Yeah, yeah. And when this role came through, I literally, I interviewed for it. I took it with both hands and I thought maybe this is also a sign to say, okay, my child, you've worked. Now you can do, still get to do what you love, but it's more karma. And with, with me is because I started this role during lockdown. So that's an I, incredible thing, you know, that it's, it's so motivating yeah. to learn that there are still opportunities. Um, I mean, we, we keep seeing of a lot of companies closing down, people losing their jobs, mm. people being retrenched. So yes. considering that you're also in the employment space and, and, and working mm. on retrenchments all of the time, mm. it's pretty encouraging mm. to learn that there are still vacancies that exist out there and opportunities that people can grab. Yep. Yep, absolutely. I mean, it's amazing how many people we've onboarded at the bank during this mm -hmm. lockdown period alone. Oh, um, it, it, it's, it's because we've now, we've now become accustomed to the new normal of mm. working remotely. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing what technology can do. Mm. And I can tell you that ever since I started at the bank, the only time I, I've actually gone into that building was to get my laptop 
mm. I need to meet my boss of whom I'd met before um, when he interviewed me. And ever since then, I've been just working off teams. Um, I do consults um, remotely. Mm. I've met a lot of people virtually. I've made friends virtually yeah. um, through the yeah. people that I've been working with um, because it really is possible. You know, we always think that working remotely was, was a thing of the past, but, or rather it had never been done before, but it's working off perfectly. And I'm really enjoying um, this type of thing because you also get to balance, um, you know, working, delivering on time, um, interacting with people, but you also get to do it in the comfort of your own home. So it's perfectly normal to, whilst you're in a meeting, have a nice, um, what's this pot roasting, slow cooking somewhere, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and yeah. you just jump up quickly, check on it. And then you, you get back into work. You don't have to worry about sitting in traffic for me um, to get to a meeting. You literally just sit in your home, have a cup of coffee, um, have a chat and you're still equally productive. So yeah, working remotely is amazing. And just even more so working in house um, remotely is also really amazing. Um, I work with an amazing team of people. Um, the various business units that I get to interact with on a daily basis is amazing. And again, I still get to do what I love because I still draft. I still argue arbitrations because I've done a number of arbitrations or dis and disciplinary inquiries remotely. I still do closing arguments. I still do every single thing that I love to do. Um, this is that now with like court work or labor court work, for example, we brief attorneys. But a lot of the stuff that we do, we do ourselves. So mm. I thought, yo, it's really nice to know that I can work on this affidavit um, for six hours and not feel bad about the other six hours that I need to put in for that other matter so that mm -hmm. I can do my 12 mm -hmm. hours for the day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I can clock in the 12 hours in the, on, the, on, the, on this, what's the CMS, you know, the, 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 the system that's being used at law firms to kind of track our performance and track mm -hmm. the number of hours mm -hmm. that, you, that you put in within a month. So I was like, okay, this is actually really nice because I still get to do what I enjoy doing. What and that's a nice that. thing about so, um, in-house. Yeah. Yeah. The pressure is still the same. Still, yeah. Don't get yeah. me wrong. The pressure yeah. is still the same, but it's more controlled. You're yeah. more in control yeah. of your time, which yeah. is really nice. Um, yeah. It's very refreshing hearing, hearing your experience, you know, because I've had like a, I, I've had a friend who, who recently changed jobs and for mm. her, it's actually been very difficult, the lack of human mm. interaction with your new team and that everything is mm. done remotely. She's finding it really, really difficult to connect with people, you know, just, you know, when you first connect, connect with your colleagues and get to know them during that first week and whatever. Mm. So she still hasn't found somebody comfortable, you know, you know, when you have a mm. comfortable colleague and you ask them questions all the time, yes. and you, you know, they're yeah. there and willing to help. She hasn't been able to create those sort of, connections online so it's very refreshing hearing hearing that your transition has been seamless and your onboarding has been seamless yeah yeah look i think it also depends on the team that you end up working with or the kind of people that you end up working with i mean from before i even started officially my boss had already put me on on a whatsapp group Mm -hmm. uh, with all the other lawyers that I would be working with. And we, we get to know each other in that space because we obviously chat about matters that a person is working on. And if you have a question or anything like that, you put it into the group and we suggest, okay, this is how I will tackle it. Um, guys, I'll mail you my, the draft chart sheet that I've prepared. Please vet it. Let me know if there's anything that I need to add on. Mm -hmm. um, the person, uh, one of the, the lawyers that I worked with, emailed me as soon as I got I got my email I had like a bunch of all the policies that the bank um, relies on um, in, in, in dealing with matters so I got an opportunity to read through those policies um, did a lot of, of training compliance training and um, that kind of gave me a feel of how we do things within mm. within the bank which is really nice so I think the support structures is especially important and and um, the people that you get to work with, if they can understand that you you having it a little tougher because you don't get to meet someone at the water cooler and tell them more about yourself yeah. and who you yeah. are. So um, I think what's important is that she she um, must just try and you know just try and identify that one person and see if you can mm. click or integrate with them. And yeah, I've really been fortunate because I've had an amazing um, support structure and I have had no 
difficulties with settling in at all. Incredible. Really nice. Incredible. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Peel. I'm just looking at the mm. time. So um as 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 an outro um to our conversation mm. and also just getting in touch with some of the global headlines um that we've that we've that we've um witnessed over the past few weeks and especially the biggest one, well after the pandemic, obviously, being the movement um, of Black Lives Matter, you know, it's just mm-hmm. managed to put racism under the spotlight globally. But mm-hmm. on a smaller scale, what would you say some of the challenges you face as a Black woman in the legal profession are? Sure. Um, you know, I what one of the challenges that I, I faced when I got into the legal space, especially as a black woman, was um, being recognized or being acknowledged as someone who's actually going to contribute meaningfully mm. um, in, in, an, in, an, in, an, in a consultation or in a meeting, whatever the case may be. Mm. I mean, you actually don't realize how privileged males are until you walk into a room and you have an executive who's a client there who chooses to acknowledge everyone but you, you know? Sure. And it's only when uh, you have someone who recognizes that and then decides to actually introduce you and tell them that, oh, that first draft opinion that you got to read at or the first draft opinion that you're looking at now was actually drafted by by Peel, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it's, it's, it's just amazing how, um, you know, you would find a candidate attorney who happens to be white and male being recognized more than you, the mm. associate who actually did the legwork. Mm. So one of the challenges that I faced in, in, in that environment is just being recognized, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and you, through that, if you don't have anyone who has that privilege that's, that backs you, um, it, it can be, be challenging um, to kind of adjust and acknowledge that, look, it's not necessarily, it's not personal, it's just how people are conditioned, you know? Mm. And, um, yeah, for me, I think what's important as a as a black woman in that environment is to firstly acknowledge that you are not being recognized and pointed out um, that look, I actually did the, or I what I used to do is when a question would be posed, even if it's directed at my boss, when I knew the answer, I would speak out and I'd say, yeah, "This is what we did." You know? So, okay. so it, it's it's about having a voice, and by having a voice, you your voice alone will not do much. What's important is um, having or working in a space where a person recognizes their privilege, be it male privilege, be it white privilege, and using it for good. You know, mm-hmm. and using it to speak out for the person next to them, mm-hmm. um, and that really goes a long way in in actually helping you. Um, be recognized in, in, in that space. And I'll use an example I read somewhere where um, Marilyn Monroe, I think, would go into um, clubs and tell clubs that I will, I will be present in your club or I'll sit in here if you let Nina Simone sing, you know, sure. because no one was allowing Nina Simone yeah. to sing at, yeah. at clubs because she was black and she was female. You know, and I feel that she was able to use her privilege Mm. for good. She helped another person. It's about lifting others. And, you know, that's the role that I think um, white women or white males um, or even just black males have uh, to play in helping uplift us. Because as much as we want to say that we're all disadvantaged, I really think black women have a tough, you know, in that space. And if you have someone, and equally just like me, when I get to be recognized, I must also learn to help the other person next to me get recognized, even if it, yeah. whether it be a young black male or young white male or um, a young black female, which is which is even more important. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, those are the kind of challenges that I'd face. I, I usually would find that intimidating. It would really trigger my imposter syndrome initially because I thought, oh, well, how did I get here? Why am I here? And once you have someone who vouches for you and tells you that you're actually able to do something, um, it goes a really long way in, in trying to not necessarily um, cure whatever situation that you're in, but it helps you build resilience and it helps you learn how to thrive in that kind of an environment. And I guess that's what this whole Black Lives Matters movement um, should be about because, you know, we always 
want to make people sort of like acknowledge that black lives do matter. Mm. But the difficulty that you have is that if you don't have anyone who's using their privilege for good, all you have in that kind of an environment is just to thrive. You just have to survive, Mm. you know, Mm. and it's about building resilience in the kind of environment that you're in so that you're not directly affected from it from a mental point of view yeah. you know sure. so yeah i think that's 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 my two cents worth on the matter yeah. um but it's equally important to use your voice um for the greater good and also use your voice to lift others 100 percent. i'm so passionate about people using their voices especially people who have influence and one of the interesting things for me though has been reading up on so many stories that a i can relate to but b Mm. i really feel that a lot of stories have been affirmations that i wasn't going crazy when i was in corporate like some of these micro you'd park them them to the side and you wouldn't address them because you think maybe i'm just being too sensitive so it's been such a relief to know that i wasn't just being too sensitive and it's a relief also looking back and um, being proud that at the moment I, I I was courageous and brave enough to confront certain issues, and it's just really mm. it, it's it's been an eye opener. And I think for the rest of my life, I'm always going to advocate for 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 people speaking against injustices um, against themselves, and also being able to speak against injustices of other people. Because if you're in an environment where um, the the racist behavior for example is not necessarily mm. against yourself but against the colleague mm. and you can see that mm. that colleague is not in the position to defend themselves then it really is mm. up to you to bring it up as well mm. like, like you said use mm. your voice when you're in a position of privilege so if you are a senior and for example in a law firm and you're, mm. you're a senior associate and, and, a, and an associate or a candidate attorney is being treated in a bad way then as a, mm. as a senior it is up to you to actually use your voice and say hang on you don't get to treat someone like this um, because they are a candidate and, um, you know, because they are black, for example. So yes, yes, it's just been a relief to see that I wasn't going crazy. No, absolutely. You're right. And it's, it's so amazing. I mean, like you're saying, reading about stories and, and finding it relatable. I think what, what helps with, with the podcasts that you do mm. Um, and I really think that it's an amazing platform to build. I really enjoy listening to them because um, it made me feel better about myself, yeah. you know, because yeah. the challenges that I thought I was facing alone, a lot of people face. And I mean, you've had phenomenal women here who are who are thriving in the spaces that they're in. I mean, I, I was listening to um, the podcast that you did with, um, I think it was Manchadi a, a while back, and I really enjoyed learning that you know what even the most successful or people that you look at outside and you think these people are successful they face the same challenges that you did i mean listening to to the story about lerato tana i thought lerato was like you know she her life was was perfect but when i learned that even in even when she was thriving in that environment she still had her challenges relating to whether or not she belonged there whether or not she was eligible to be a partner you know it, it, it shows that the moment you have people that are vouching for you, it motivates you mm. to do better. Mm. And that's why it's so important to speak out, not only for ourselves, but to also speak out for others and, and make sure that they are recognized. Mm. Um, because a lot of us have so much to offer. You may not be an A student, but whatever is in your head or what your thinking capabilities are can be can be an invaluable resource at any of the largest law firms or medium-sized law firms whatever the case may be you just need someone to speak out someone to recognize that potential so that you can thrive in that environment and that's exactly my that was my experience and i i've picked up that it's also a lot of um the young lawyers experiences the people that you uh, through the people that you've spoken to on this platform so i'm so happy that you you gave me a chance as well to just throw in my two cents worth here it's a real privilege and a real honor because i hope that by sharing the little bit of my story um, i'm able to 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 inspire a young student out there who's currently struggling with her 60s and 70s and thinking yo Will I ever get into uh, a, a law firm as big as your ENSs, your Bowmans, your 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 Norton Rose Fulbrights? Um, 
because it's so important to know that the moment you recognize that there's someone out there who's willing to speak for you, mm. you take that connection and you run with it and you can go really, really far. So keep up the good work. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's you. been really Thank exciting you. to to you. <laughs> Lovely. Thank mm. you. Thank you, Phil. We've unfortunately come to the end of the show. I know the, the conversation ah. can go on for hours and hours and hours. Yes. But thank you so much for speaking to us today. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, you know, I sure. have no doubt that your mom is very, very proud of you. Um, thank you. That means and, a lot. And no doubt that she never ended up taking it personally, that you had work mm-hmm. to do. At the end of the day, mm-hmm. she prayed for you to be in that position. Mm-hmm. And her, mm-hmm. her prayers came uh, to fruition. And I think she is, you know, very, very proud of the woman you are continuously working to be. So, yeah, thank you so much for letting us into those personal so, bits of so your humble. life. And I can thank also you. pray that, you know, every challenge that you faced, even with losing your mom, only mm-hmm. propels you and encourages you and motivates you to be the best version of yourself. Absolutely, 100%. That's exactly what it's been doing. And I, I hope that whatever personal challenges that people go through while trying to make it in, in the in the tough and challenging space that we are in, they need to know that we were there too. We yeah. also we also went through the same challenges and we thrived and we survived. And that's why you, you are in the space that you're in in the first place because yeah. legal the legal space needs tough people uh, like, like us. And I hope that um people don't see it as a as a, something that will pull them down but it will be something that make you rise above the ashes 100 percent. thank you so much Pio. enjoy the rest of your day and have a blessed place week further thank you thank you so much Diolo. thank you have a fantastic sunday bye bye bye